Okay, here come the, uh, the herd of teenagers. Right past, right at, the, right at the right time. I felt the ground shaking. Um, so today we're in session three in the new book, the blue book. I hope everybody has that. If you don't, there are a few extra copies over there. Uh, and today we're talking about, we're really answering a question. And the question is, does absolute truth exist? Um, so... Matthew, right above your head, there's a small poster with the red border. Uh, can you kind of read those for us, just kind of break the ice a little bit? This one? Yeah. There's three categories there. Three categories. Yeah. So, mortality in America is what says at the top. 81% of Americans agree with this, uh, with this statement. I'm concerned about declining moral behavior in our nation. Uh, 19% disagree. More than six in 10 of those older than age 45 say right and wrong do not change. For those 35 and younger, fewer, fewer than four in 10 make that claim. When asked which factor is most influential in shaping their moral views, Americans name their parents. 39% of them say that. Yeah, so as you see, we start at the top and about eight out of 10 agree that something's wrong. Uh, in the middle group, the older group of people, about six out of 10, believe right and wrong is static, that it's a constant. Uh, those younger than most of the people in this room, uh, less than four out of 10 believe that. Uh, and then at the bottom, uh, the, the greatest influence in people's lives in America are their own parents. Um, so you take a snapshot of our community and you see what some of the parents are doing what that basically tells us is we're likely to repeat the cycle. Uh, the same with the good things that may be happening in our community, right, in this, this class, we're very likely to repeat that cycle as well. Uh, and when we ask this question, does absolute truth exist, what about you? Do you believe that absolute truth exists? Maybe, Maybe? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, it, Wayne, what would have to be... What's the definition of absolute truth? What, would, what conditions have to be so for a truth to be absolute? It has to be the same everywhere, right? So like truth in America has to be the same as truth in Africa, as truth in Japan, right? Um, it has to withstand really the test of time, right? So it had to have been true uh, in you know 100 BC and still be true today, so it's you know stands the test of time. What are some other conditions for absolute truth? Unbiased. Uh, unbiased, right? It has. Yeah, it has to withstand uh, scrutiny, right? So as technology improves, uh, as uh, knowledge increases. Uh, as this gets inspected, uh, it has to survive and weather uh, that. It, it, yeah, it has to be unbiased, it has to be somewhat universal. Um, so the icebreaker question that they set up for us today in the book, uh, on page 29 in your book, is what fascinates you most about the space program? And if we don't get energy out of this question, I've got some other cool things to talk about. Anybody have something that just really astounds you about the space program? 
that they can even go to space yeah. astounds me. After going to space camp as a teacher, the fact that they can communicate and how many different working parts have to work together, it, it's, I mean, I was nervous and have an anxiety attack and I was sitting in a room pretending. Yeah. I can't imagine, like for real, like they, they rely on me from way that. Yeah. And those diapers are pretty cool too. <laughs> We've explored more space than we have the ocean floor. Yeah. We've only explored about two to three percent of our ocean floor so now. Yeah, it's very interesting. One of the things that astounds me is the speed involved. Um, there's a movie out right now around uh, Apollo 11. It's actually a documentary. Uh, it's one of the few things that they did at Sundance Film Festival that's worth watching. Uh, and it's they, they found all of this old film on the Apollo 11 launch uh, and some of the speeds that they were traveling on the way to the moon uh, and then on their way back exceeded 20,000 miles an hour. Uh, 26,000 was their top speed recorded, and I'm just like, the speed of that is, is sort of hard to wrap your head around, you know. Um, most of us don't really remember Apollo 11, which is kind of funny. That's the one that actually landed on the moon. Most of us remember what? Apollo 13, the one that didn't make it to the moon, because Tom Hanks was in it, and Tom Hanks is a pretty good, pretty good actor, right? Um, but it is kind of funny, right? If you ask people which one landed on the moon, they go, oh, I don't know. Was it, was it 11? I think it was 10. Not, you know, what about the one that didn't make it? Oh, 13, right? Everybody knows that. Um, so when we, when we think about that, there, there's some things there that are just difficult for us to grasp. Uh, and then even like that trip to the moon, right? There are a lot of people that believe it didn't even happen, right? That it was, it's all a Hollywood, Hollywood you know, set, right? Was, so does that withstand the test of time? Uh, who knows? Um, what, about, what about the heavens? What about the, the stars in the sky that we see? You know, um, so the first documented uh, recording of all the stars in the sky actually happened in 129 BC, uh, and they literally counted them all. Uh, and they documented their position in the sky relative to each other, and they named them all. Uh, do you know how many stars they came up with were total in the sky in 129 BC? Just a guess. 300. It's 850, so close. Um, what's, the, what's the current estimate of the number of stars in the sky? And I say estimate because they're not really sure. Ooh, yeah, we're getting up there. It's closer to that. Actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, earlier this year, they thought it was 100 sextillion, which is uh, 21 zeros behind a one, uh, and then that number was recently tripled. So they think it's around 300 sextillion stars uh, in in the galaxy. Um, they think there are about a billion galaxies, right? So. Clearly, you know, God has created more than we can even wrap our heads around. And um, maybe, maybe this question for you, when we're thinking about absolute truth, are there some absolute truths? Are there some areas where humans were convinced that this was the truth only for it not to withstand the test of time? Yeah, what are some of those things that humans used to believe? The earth was flat. Earth was flat, right? Was, uh, was an interesting one. Uh, Everything orbits around the Earth. Yeah, the Earth was the the center of the universe, was a belief held uh, up until about 1700. They thought that the Earth was in the center of the universe. That's pretty interesting. 
What are some other things? Theory of evolution exists at times. Yeah. It's a theory. Yeah. When Darwin on his deathbed said he didn't believe it. Yeah. There was another thing, interesting thing people believed. Uh, people believed that if you smelled something bad, it made you sick. Um, yeah. And it may astound you that there's, there's actually a study that was completed in England last year uh, that says that if you smell bad things, it might actually make you well. And the bad thing that they were suggesting that you smell uh, was hydrogen sulfide, uh, which comes out of the rear end of people. Uh, that's the nicest way for me to not say the F word that my mother-in-law doesn't allow me to say. <laughs> So, uh, Can you imagine if Mr. Parker were sitting here for those <laughs> I, thought, I thought of Steve a little bit. So if you smell a toot, it makes you well? Yeah, they said it actually helps reduce inflammation. Please might, don't tell me that. It limits, <laughs> reduces risk for heart disease and stroke. Please don't tell me that. should begin. Look, look, look it up. It's actually a prestigious university study. It's well-powered, had a good number of participants. Uh, I would, I would, it's not a study I want to be in. Um, humans also used to believe that babies didn't feel pain, a lot like fish. So fish don't appear to have certain, you know, processing and neurons to feel pain, but people used to believe that babies didn't feel pain uh, either. So clearly there are some things that were accepted as truth that we see changing over time. And they used to, the kings used to kill the queens if they couldn't have any boy babies because they thought that was the, the queen's fault, but it's actually the man that determined bad, that. Bad juju. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's read the, uh, the Bible Meets Life section. That's on page 30 uh, in your, your study guide. Can somebody read that for us, please? This year marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. It's amazing to think that our smartphones today have more computing power than the bank of computers NASA mission control had in 1969. That doesn't mean landing on the moon was an easy task. Some 400,000 engineers, technicians, and scientists were involved in this mission. Because critical calculations had to be precise, they were checked and rechecked. Everything had to go absolutely right for the mission to be successful. As Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin prepared to land the lunar module, it would have been disastrous if Mission Control had told them, execute the moon landing however you think best. Don't worry about the calculations, just do whatever feels right. Disastrous? Yes, because the truth could not change at the whim of the astronauts. We want this form of absolute truth in science and physics, yet many believe truth is subjective and personal and doesn't apply to behavior or religious beliefs. Jesus Christ shows absolute truth exists in all aspects of life. Thank you. So we're going to be studying today in John, and this isn't a contiguous set of verses. You can see on the board over there, so we're reading from John 1, John 8, and John 18. And the reason that we're bouncing around in the Gospel of John uh, is that John wrote his Gospel a little differently uh, than the other three writers. Uh, and John spent more time really talking about truth, really talking about not only Jesus' role as coming as Messiah, uh, but also as this sort of uh, moral goalpost that we have uh, in, our, in our lives that remains constant. And uh, so maybe that's a question for you. So when we think about absolute truth, you know, Jesus really is the absolute truth for us. Um, can you think of where in the Bible 
uh, that, that's described to us. We're talking about withstanding the test of time and, and all of that. What are some of the attributes of that, that universal truth that we know of Christ? Where do we get that from? Does anybody know where it's found? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, and when he's talking about the word, he's talking about how he is God, right? And he's coming uh, to us, and he is that constant. And then uh, in Hebrews, it talks about the time period, right? It talks about Jesus Christ is the same, uh, you know, yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 8.14. Um, any others come to mind for you? And the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. First and the last, right? Yeah, very, very good. Um, so John wanted to make sure we get some of these points uh, drilled, drilled into our heads. And, and again, you know, we think about uh, kind of like modern science, and we think about all of those things that are, that are remaining constant. Uh, and what we're finding now is even some of those things, uh, some of those laws of physics that have withstood for thousands and thousands of years, some of those things are starting to be challenged. Uh, and they're actually getting into this physical relativism uh, in, our, in our modern world. Um, so if I told you, if I gave you a ruler and I said that an inch was an inch, would you, know, would you believe that it was an inch? Right, if, I, if I marked it out and we measured it and we could all measure it, would we all agree that an inch is an inch, right? Mm -hmm. Well, apparently, uh, modern physics actually says it depends on how fast we're going. They have some of these particle accelerators that are showing that an inch actually isn't an inch. It uh, doesn't withstand the test of, of time or speed, right? If you move fast enough, the inch actually starts getting smaller. Uh, what if I told you, what if we had a stopwatch and we clicked the stopwatch <laughs> and we said that a second was a second? It's actually not, right? The faster and faster you go, that second actually starts shrinking. And some of you watch Star Trek as a child and you're starting to go, wait, I didn't think that was real. You know, that's how they went on light speed, right? is they, they actually started going faster and faster and faster and time started shrinking and shrinking and actually, you know, right? it's, it's weird though, but it's actually showing that some of these things that we once held true, then measured for thousands of years and used them to, to, to explain the cosmos and all of the workings of this world, they're actually not constant at all. And there's this, there are new particles. There's a new, par, new particle called a neutrino that they think can move faster than, than, than light particles. So is that how they messed up math, too? Maybe. Common core math is dead now. So. But it's, it's very interesting that, right, that all of these things that we've once held true, even the people that argue, and they argue against God using science, it now finds that the science feels like it's not on stable ground. It's now on quicksand. It's like they're starting to even scratch their head. And if you were in the worship service this morning, Paul described uh, a, a well-known philosopher uh, and who'd also turned physicist who said, you know, it appears that there is some design to this universe. There must surely be a designer. But why is, why is he remaining hidden? Why doesn't he show himself? And Paul makes a good point. If you haven't been to, to worship yet, makes a good point. He has shown himself. And he shows himself in Christ. And let's jump in. And uh, the first passage is in John 18. Can somebody read that first one for us? It's John 18, 36 through 38. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. 
but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Yeah, so what's the context here? Where, where's Jesus at? Before Pilate. Yeah, so he's before Pilate, right? So he's, he's been captured, right. Uh, right? So he's standing there giving some defense. Uh, I'm not sure he's really giving much of a defense. He's just standing there answering questions. Um, and when Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world, why do you think he said that? One, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, so who's he saying that to? Sorry. Yeah, so he's, he's saying it to someone, though, that's in a position of authority uh, who has, has a strong desire to have a kingdom of this world, and that person's Pilate. Uh, what's, what's Pilate's role? He's a, he's a governor, right? And, and all governors uh, have uh, greater aspirations, at least every governor I've ever known uh, and ever seen. If you grew up in Illinois like I did or in Louisiana like Marcy did, uh, being governor wasn't enough. You had to steal while you were also there. Uh, and you found your, found your way to prison. So every governor that I ever had went to prison uh, during my lifetime, and then just about everyone she ever had went to prison as well. I suspect the word governor uh, in Pilate's day probably had very similar uh, connotations. He probably desired bigger things for himself. Uh, who was king at the time? Who was he serving? Caesar. Caesar, but it's a particular Caesar. It starts with a T. Tiberius. Tiberius. Uh, is Tiberius a good, good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. Right. Uh, he also thinks that the Jewish people are a scourge uh, of the earth uh, and they're under oppression during this particular time. So when Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world, he's trying to get Pilate's attention. And he gets his attention because he automatically shows Pilate that I'm not a threat to you. I'm not here for what you have. I have no desire to have what you have. Uh, and I'm sure that that puts Pilate in a very different uh, position. Um, so Pilate asks another question uh, after that, uh, after Jesus describes his kingdom. And he says, but you're a king then, right? Exclamation point. It's kind of a statement. How does Jesus respond to that? He says, you say that I'm a king. What's he mean by that? Did Jesus mean in any way that he wasn't a king? No. Jesus was merely recognizing that Pilate recognized that he was a king. <laughs> right? They're, they're actually having a very intellectual conversation here. Um, and you know, so Pilate has yielded authority to, or uh, Jesus has yielded authority to Pilate that he's governor and he's in charge, and I'm not after what you're after. Uh, and then Pilate says, "You're a king," and then Jesus says, "Yeah, you say that I'm a king." He basically says, "Yeah, you're right." Um, interesting dialogue that's that's occurring here. Um, could you imagine? Uh, this, this almost feels like a scene out of Seinfeld, where Pilate might like look to the people beside him and be like, "Son of a king." You know, he might even be a little bit confused at this point, right? Um, is there any indication that we know of the rest of the story of this interaction between Jesus and Pilate that might indicate that Pilate was a little out over his skis? Because at one point, Pilate chooses to do what? Right. He almost lets him go. And then when the Jews demand that he not let him go, 
Righty starts worrying again about, okay, I'm governor, but I want to do these bigger things. I need to go on. I need these people to be happy. I need not for all this to be disturbing. And then he decides to separate himself from it. He recuses himself, right? So the guy's he's going through a very interesting sort of dialogue and introspection with, with Jesus. Uh, there's a part of me that even thinks that, that he, he knows the truth. He's, he's actually said it. He's like verbalized it. Uh, and Jesus has affirmed it. And he didn't freak out. Like he didn't start having Jesus beaten for like insubordination or, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't subscribe to Jewish law. He didn't, you know, throw blasphemy, blasphemy charges on him or anything like that. I think he may have had that moment where he's like, oh, something incredible is going on here. And then we know later he chooses to, uh, to separate himself from his, uh, yeah. Yeah. And quite funny the the question that uh, Pilate asks him next. What does he ask him? What is, what is truth? Jesus said he comes into this world to testify to the truth, and the the Greek words chosen there wasn't just like truth, like we know that the sun rises in the morning and sets in the afternoon. It was really the all truth. Like I came to testify the only truth. And Pilate gives a really good response. Like, tell me more about this. What, what is truth? And I think he's asking a, a legitimate intellectual question. I think he's in a spot where he's, he's vulnerable. He's like a kid again, sitting on a dad's knee asking for an explanation of tell me more and I think that is that's the the very point of this of this passage is that Jesus really is that truth and when exposed to it in front of someone that didn't know him didn't know of him the guy gets caught caught up in that moment and recognizes that this this guy has something that I've never seen before tell me what I need to know it's it's very interesting so what sources of truth do people depend on today? What's the number one source of truth for the American public today? Facebook. Google. <laughs> so don't, don't, don't go too far. What's the number one searched item in 2019 on Google? Facebook. That's the, that's the number one word searched on Google in 2019. Facebook. 233 million. The next one after that's Instagram. That's only 160 million. But Facebook owns them too, so it's all Facebook. <laughs> right? So, interesting. That's our source of truth today. What is Google? When they, when they give you an answer, what, how, do they, how do they know the answer? Well, one, they give you 18 million answers, mm -hmm. right? They're just in rank order. And how do they create that rank order? Yeah, it's a secret algorithm, but it's supposed to be uh, a, a, con a conglomeration of data of what people believe to be true. It doesn't have to be true. It's just that most of us agree that that's the answer. So when I find out how many stars are in the sky, whether it's 100 sextillion or 300 sextillion, the reason that's the number one answer on Google is because they reference a Yale study that all of these scientists believe is about the best one out there. Now, is it really 100 sextillion stars? Nobody really knows. Who can count that high? 
right? Well, yeah, I'm sure there's machine learning and there's all kinds of stuff that they're doing. I'm sure it's close. It's probably closer than a billion, but you know. But again, so we're, we're basically taking a straw poll every time we have a question. That's really how Google works in a nutshell. Can you trust me to always be right? No. Can I trust all of you to always be right? No. Uh, if all of us got together and a bunch of us are wrong, how often would we be right? I mean, are we just talking about, I mean, right? So who's, a, <laughs> someone in here is a statistician, right? I mean, some of you took statistics classes in, in college, right? I mean, at some point, that, that process, right, is exactly what we're counting on by using Google to answer our questions. It's kind of scary to get right down to it. Um, now, uh, there, there might be a better way. What are some other sources of truth people depend on today? Maybe even less reliably than Google. What they feel. What they feel. Yeah, do your feelings ever lie to you? Yeah. Do those feelings survive the test of time? Often not. So there's a, you know, time heals all wounds, right? At least that's something we say to each other. Not sure it's true. <laughs> Happens from time to time. But yeah, if I trust my feelings today, I often feel different tomorrow. And then the answer would be different tomorrow. Right? So it, it's not an absolute truth. What are some other sources of truth? For my now past grandmother, anything that Oprah said was true. <laughs> That's about 300 million times worse than Google. Right? <laughs> At least Google is pooling lots of information. I don't suspect Oprah's doing the same. I think she woke up with an opinion, and then she told my grandmother, and my grandmother accepted it as truth. <laughs> um, any, any other sources of truth that you see? Media. Uh, media, yeah. And we're bombarded with information now, right? You, you almost can't get away from it. Um, anybody here choose to sort of remove themselves from media? Yeah. And you know, that's, that's becoming a very popular thing now, right? One of the, when you look at uh, Facebook's marketing plan, their, their business plan, uh, their, their biggest effort isn't to get new users, it's to prevent you from leaving. Yeah, and that, that says that a lot of people are sort of waking up to, oh, I don't know if I want this all the time. Right? I'm feeling bombarded by all of this. And many of you are like, man, is there a way to keep the pictures and the birthday reminders without all of this other crap? Right, that's the very question I ask myself. The answer is no. Um, but anyway, um, the, the point is there are lots of, there's a lot of information coming our way, and, and we're processing a lot of information. And for a lot of people in America and really around the world, we're doing what? We're developing our own truth. And this is called moral relativism, and that's what the data that Matthew pointed to just a few minutes ago showed us, that we, we've decided in most part to become our own God because we've received enough information now to believe that we can make good decisions without needing to consult an absolute truth. Do you see evidence of that in the world around you? Yeah. So people in the first century, they read a lot. They talked to other people a lot. Uh, people in the 10th century, 
read a lot. They talked to other people a lot. People in the 19th century read a lot. They talked to other people a lot. What do people in the 20th century do a lot of? Text. They don't read a lot. They, they, they're alone a lot. You know, um, we see this massive increase. It's an exponential increase in the, in the usage of antidepressant drugs, things like that. Uh, feelings of loneliness, you know, that people are alone a lot for the first time ever in human history because they don't need other people. Information comes to you now. You don't have to go and seek it. Everything comes to you. Uh, do you know that you can order your lunch today and it can, it can be at the door waiting for you when you get home? You can order your groceries and have those delivered as well. You can have everything come to you. And, and that's really, you know, that, that can isolate us and, and get us in a spot where we're no longer really living in, in the universe as designed or seeking, seeking truth. We're sort of creating our own which is pretty, pretty scary. Um, so let's, uh, let's flip on to the next section here. Uh, it's John 1, 14 through 18. And will somebody read that for us, please? And flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who in himself God and is in who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Yeah. Any, anything stand out for you there? Anything really jump off the page? Give you just a moment to think about it been told I should talk less, so I'm going to sit here and talk. in closest relationship with the Father. Yeah. Cool. Others? What jumped out for me is we're, we're often uh, confused about which John said what, and in this passage we get both Johns. Uh, if, you, if you notice, you get the Apostle John uh, writing this book of John, uh, but he references another John, to Who's the other John? The John the Baptist, right? And that's one of those things you try to explain to your kid. There can be more than one John, right, in the, in the Jesus story. Right here, they're both in the same passage. <laughs> Anything else stick out for people? That only the Son has seen God. Is that, is that how that is? Yeah. In that all the instances before the pre-incarnate Christ, that was, it was always Christ. That's, and also that we'll never look upon God if God will look upon the Son of God, who is God. That's, that's how he has chosen to reveal himself to us. 
if I'm reading that right. No. Yeah, so in, in our human experience, yeah, the only expression of God that we've seen physically is, is Jesus. Uh, we have, we have an uh, a, a example of one human who got to see the backside of God, uh, and that was Moses. Uh, and that's, that's the only expression of God that we've seen in a physical sense in the human existence. Uh, and why did he tell Moses that he couldn't see his front? Say he would die. He couldn't handle it. <laughs> he would, I don't know exactly how he would die, but God said he would die. And I, I believe that he would. Um, one, one thing that really stands out for me in this passage is the matching of not just truth, but it's matched with grace uh, in, in two occasions. Uh, in the first occasion, uh, in verse 14, it talks about uh, Jesus came from the Father and he's full of grace and truth. And when I think full of, it doesn't mean that he has a little. It means he's full of grace and truth. Uh, and what, what about that idea of pairing grace and truth together? Do grace and truth go together? Is that a weird, I mean, it seems like an odd pairing at first. Start mining a little deeper. What do you think? I think there's tension between the two, and I think most of us tend to gravitate more to one side or the other. Yeah. I mean, as you get to know somebody, you can tell which side they gravitate to, but uh, Jesus walks right in the middle of that tension and balances it perfectly. It's something that we have a much harder time doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about grace and truth in those situations where you want to be really kind to someone, but you also want to be right. You know? One of those times it feels like grace and truth might be a little bit of tension. I like how you described that. Kind of picturing Christ walking some very narrow, tight rope where too far one way is all grace and too far other way is all truth. You know? But if you think that he's full of grace and truth, I think he was full of both. Yeah, he's full of both. Yeah, able, able to be both simultaneously. Okay, I like that. I like how John uses that, that example twice uh, within the same narrow passage. Uh, and anytime we're reiterating uh, within a, a group of verses, I think that's, again, trying to, to tell us something. Any others? Okay, so the, the question here in the book is, uh, how has the Father revealed himself through Jesus? Well, when you see me, you see the Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's given us uh, the example of himself, right? So Exactly, so when you see me, like mentioned over here earlier, uh, just a moment ago, this is the expression of me. You're seeing me. You're interacting with me. Um, good. Well, let's uh, let's flip over to the uh, the last section here, and it's John eight uh, thirty through thirty two. Again, you'll kind of see how we're bouncing around here today, and the reason we're bouncing around is that you know time is limited. But if you really just want to have a, a short read, you could read the Gospel of John uh, in probably thirty minutes or so. Um, and I would say, yeah, read, read the rest and connect this up. But let's jump over to John 8, and somebody read 30 through 32, please. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you 
hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. So, maybe same question. Any anything sort of leaping off the page to you there? So again, when it comes down to word choice, um, whenever uh, Jesus said that if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's using that same set of words again uh, that's really talking about you will know all truth. Uh, You'll know the only important truth. You'll know the only truth that withstands the test of time and inspection if you're holding to what what I tell you to do. And then he says that that truth will set you free. It's interesting. It's very convicting. It is. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Peace. Yeah. Peace. interesting kids um, yeah it was your kid so Rob when you first read that you said convicting yeah right and you know when, when we're under conviction uh, we're experiencing really the fear of the Lord right which is that's a healthy respect for his his standard um, and what we shouldn't be is afraid, right? But we can have this healthy respect and fear of the Lord. And then, you know, EJ, uh, after sort of recognizing that, and then Megan describes it as peace, you know? That, that, I think that really is the, the objective here. Um, are there any other truths that can set you free? Not this kind of freedom, right? Um, so where, where is this verse often read when, when they say uh, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free in law, in law. yeah it's interesting so the, the system of law that we have is based on this sort of this uh, Judeo-Christian uh, world view uh, and often as people are being sentenced or being released from prison they'll use this, this passage that then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's interesting that we use that in law, but really it's talking about the redemption of the soul that only, only God can do, but yeah, our system of law uses that too. Very, very interesting. Um, so let's, let's talk about how uh, we can use what we know uh, in the truth of Christ uh, to... Are you looking for your phone? Isn't that the, the noise your watch makes when it's trying to find your phone? I think it was me. I'm sorry. Oops. <laughs> your, your phone's right there. I didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> uh, and those of you that didn't know that, if you have a, if you have an Apple Watch, it can find you can your, find phone your phone for you. It's awesome. I always know where my phone is. And the girls in my house are always looking for their phones. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> So when we think about living out our faith and living out what we've learned uh, today, 
Uh, there are really three things, and it's on uh, page 36 in your learner guide. Uh, one of those is to, is to know, uh, and uh, one of those is to commit to reading the Bible through. Uh, and I think one of the first places we can start is in the Gospel of John. Uh, and the Gospel of John has some very cool uh, nuggets in it. One of those is the vine and the branches uh, story. Uh, I think you could, you could hang your entire faith on just fully understanding the, the vine and the branches. Uh, that's, that's found in John's Gospel. Uh, this this uh, segment here that we read today obviously is as well. So start there. Start somewhere is really the point. Uh, your phone can also send you a verse of the day. Uh, you can set that up. It can come automatically to you and alert you to look at that. Uh, and you can, you can get on a streak that way. The church also has a reading guide. You can go online. You can do that. There's a number of ways. But let's commit to being people of the Word and, and reading our Bible. Uh, and then, you know, uh, maybe in uh, engaging uh, as well with others uh, on what we know and what we've learned. Um, so each of us knows someone that's not a believer uh, or someone that's outside the, the household of faith at this point that may even be a believer, uh, invite those people to, to join us here uh, or you know, take a risk this holiday season and, and share your faith. Uh, take somebody to the, uh, the Bethlehem experience at Bethel Baptist Church and know at the end that they present the gospel uh, to, to those people. Um, and then the other one is it says to read, and there's a book called Unimaginable, What Our World Would Look Like Without Christianity. I don't know the book. Uh, I'm not willing to recommend books that I don't read uh, and don't sort of preview. Trust this material is probably pretty good. The church buys it for us, so I'm suspecting that they're okay with us recommending books in there. But, yeah, the book recommended is Unimaginable, What Our World Would Look Like Without Christianity. Again, I don't recognize the author or anything, so use, use your own personal judgment uh, on that one. Yeah. I think it'd be a short book. <laughs> short book? I bet you it's not. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts today, questions before we go? So, how do we demonstrate this week that we know the truth? The truth. I'll second that. I do feel like I go back to the basics an awful lot and need to. <laughs> Any others? Maybe a really simple one. Let's just try and live like it this, this week. Um, and if you're not up for it, phone a friend, <laughs> you know. Let's use the people in this class to help one another. Uh, then, uh, yeah, let's, let's do our best to share our faith uh, in a world that's lost. Clearly, the stats that we read show that we have a lot of opportunity, and I would like to believe or don't want to, but 
I do believe that the area of Daphne and Spanish Fort and Fairhope are probably a lot like those statistics we talked about. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up there. Somebody willing to, to pray for us and uh, dismiss us today?